the ultimate sales machine. Turbocharge your business with relentless focus on 12 key strategies. By Chet Holmes. This book is dedicated to the best person I've ever known my entire life. And I got to marry her. The salt of the earth never tasted so sweet. To my Vicky, the lady fantastic. A note to the reader. I've heard Chet Holmes speak on many occasions, and I've had the privilege of working with him on many others. He is so accomplished and wise in a broad array of topics that I began to encourage him to write a book. It took a lot of pig-headed discipline and determination on my part to finally get him to do it. Now that I've read The Ultimate Sales Machine, I'm even more proud of my accomplishment in getting Chet to finally put it all into writing. All along, I thought that he would select one of his many areas of expertise as the topic for the book. I had no idea that he would include all the areas in one masterful book. I knew that Chet was a brilliant speaker, and I also knew that he was a talented scriptwriter, but I never dreamt that he was as good a writer as he demonstrates in this book, or that he could bring to business nonfiction the same level of drop-dead ability that he brings to general audience movie scripts. As the author of 56 books myself, it has always been my hope that motivated and success-bound business people would read a lot of books. But after reading this book, I realize that, in truth, it's all a business person needs to read. Every important aspect of business is covered by Chet in these pages, and they're covered with information that many of you have never heard before. You'll never be able to accuse Chet of being shallow. There are profound insights in this book, crucial details and personal experiences that separate it from every other book on the shelves of your library or bookstore. Although Chet is a karate master, he pulls no punches in these pages. Learning from him is like learning from a world-class teacher, which comes as no surprise because Chet is truly a world-class teacher. This book will be a classic for as long as businesses seek to improve their profits, their sales, and their futures. Thank you, Chet, for proving that my pig-headed discipline and determination were richly rewarded. J. Conrad Levinson, the father of guerrilla marketing and author of the Guerrilla Marketing series, more than 14 million sold, now in 43 languages. Forward. When words are never enough. When Chet Holmes called to tell me he was coming out with a book and would I take a look at it, I thought to myself, oh, Chet, not another book on sales. Don't misunderstand me. Chet is a barn burner when it comes to sales. Chet is a master at what he does. Chet knows stuff about the selling cycle, the selling system, the positioning of products, services, and companies, and the people who build them and sell them that very few of us in the business of business have ever learned. But still, my heart hung heavy, and my shoulders too, when Chet called to ask me if I would simply take a look at a few chapters of this new book, and perhaps say something nice about what I saw. But given that Chet is a friend and a master too, I gritted my teeth and said simply that I would knowing in my heart that no matter how much a master of sales Chet is, there are very, very few folks who can turn that skill into a book that people read, and then read again, because the words and the way they are arranged capture the imagination, as all great stories do. I was afraid that when I began to read his book, I would have to tell him the truth. Books are hard to do, Chet, but what the hell, you did a good job. And there are so many other things you're good at. You'll never even remember this after a few years go by, and the pain of harsh critics goes away, and you discover a brand new day. That's what I thought I would have to say to Chet once I took a look at what he sent my way. But, Chet, I have to say it, you are now a master of books, too. 
And that's what I find myself saying to you, dear reader, that Chet Holmes is not only a master of the subject within the covers of this book, but of something much more profound, something much deeper than the subject of sales seems. Chet knows how the world of words works. He knows how stories are told. He knows why the world needs great storytellers, and why companies who are deprived of great storytellers are companies that can't hope to capture the imagination of their customers, their employees, or the people who invest in them, each of whom are suckers for a great story, who love to hear the once upon a time we were all put to bed with at night all those many years ago. Chet teaches you between the covers of this book how to tell stories, and he does that in the best way of all. He tells you a story, and then another, and then yet another, and then still another, until you feel like he's got to run out, and then he tells you even another story better than the ones before. And each story works to make The Ultimate Sales Machine a book that puts it all together to help you dramatically increase your sales if you are wise enough to follow its advice. So, Chet, what can I say? You are a master. And this book is about mastery, and you kick this sucker in the head. Yes, when you read a really neat book, there are very few words left to be said, other than, great job, Chet. Thanks for the opportunity to tell it like it is. Michael E. Gerber, best-selling author of E-Myth, E-Myth Mastery, and E-Myth Revisited. Preface Here's a snapshot of the current climate for doing business. A corporation fails every three minutes. A directorship changes every 32 seconds. A company changes control every 15 minutes. 96% of all companies fail within 10 years. 26,000 new products and brands are introduced every year. 16 to 30% of consumers change brand loyalty in one evening of watching commercials. 74% of consumers buy outside their favorite brands. 29% of consumers do not read a newspaper. In the past 15 years of working with thousands of entrepreneurial companies and more than 60 of the Fortune 500, I've seen the average cost of getting in front of a client virtually triple. If it cost you $100 to get in front of a client 15 years ago, today it's costing you $300. The rates have increased for every major advertising medium, including television, radio, and newspaper, while the penetration of every one of those vehicles has decreased. With more TV and radio choices than ever, the large audience you used to be able to reach in one place is now scattered among hundreds of media channels. New technologies like satellite radio and TiVo have made it possible for consumers to avoid commercials completely. All this means that it's getting harder and harder to reach the consumer, and the market that you're in has become fiercely and viciously competitive. Does anyone think it's going to get easier? When I teach seminars in front of thousands of business owners, I begin by saying that I can absolutely help each one of them transform their business into the ultimate sales machine. You can even expect this to be fast. I've doubled the sales of many companies in 12 months flat. I will go on to say, you are going to understand all the principles I share with you here today, as there's nothing but logical information here. You're going to agree with them. You're going to know that I am right and that these principles will work in your business, and then you will still not do them. That always gets a laugh. I continue, I call this the reverse psychology portion of my lecture, 
where I'm goading you into applying a powerful force for creating success from what you're going to learn here today. And that force, my friends, is pig-headed discipline and determination. As a speaker who has been out there speaking for 15 years now, I have had the pleasure of many business owners and executives coming up to me and saying, you know, Chet, your stuff has really helped me, but i got to tell you, the most important lesson I learned from you was what you said about pig-headed discipline and determination. If you apply the learning curve in this book to your business with pig-headed discipline and determination, you too will come up to me at a seminar one day and thank me for the fact that your business now slaughters your competitors at every turn, runs without you, and is highly profitable. In short, you will have mastered your business so that it runs like a finely tuned sales-making machine. How do you become a master of anything? How do you help others become masters? The key lesson I've learned again and again ever since I was a kid studying karate is that mastery is not about being special or more gifted than anyone else. Mastery is a direct result of pig-headed discipline and determination. The promise of this book is that you will learn how to create mastery in your business, resulting in the finest, most profitable, and best-run business you can have. You will get the tools to become a master of three crucial areas, marketing, management, and sales. Mastery in each of these areas is necessary to make your business run like a machine. Machine Beginnings When I was 15 years old, I tried a new method for increasing my karate skills. I had a high-vaulted ceiling in my bedroom. I screwed a cowhide rope into the peak of the ceiling and attached a softball to the other end at chest level. My intent was to kick and chop the ball and then be able to deflect it, block it, kick it, or chop the ball again when it came bouncing back. With my first karate chop at the ball with my hand, the ball bounced out to the edge of the rope and back fast, smacking me in the head. This wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. I tried all kinds of kicks. Hook kick, front kick, back kick, side kick. But again and again the ball flew to the end of the rope and then bounced back, hitting me in the head, elbow, shoulders, or chest. I worked on this for several weeks and made very little progress. After a month, there were a couple of times when I could actually block the ball from hitting me. After three months of doing this every single day, I could hit the ball with any one of the body's weapons, my hands, my feet, my elbows, and my knees, I could even do a spinning back kick and hit it again, then block it expertly as it flew at me from a different angle. After six months, the ball never touched me. I could spin artfully in the air, flawlessly blocking the ball at every angle. It was amazing. I could literally catch, kick, or swat that ball with every move any time I liked, and faster than I would have ever thought possible. My body was operating like a machine responding to the ball as if pre-programmed to anticipate every possible move the ball could make. Imagine my skill level when that ball would ricochet around the room with lightning speed and my reflexes were even faster. It was thrilling. I felt such power. I realized that becoming a master of karate was not about learning 4,000 moves, but about doing just a handful of moves 4,000 times. This repetition trained my body to run like a machine. And that's what constant and focused repetition will do for your business. No matter what comes up, your responses are automatic because you've prepared for and developed the skills to deal with every possible scenario.
More important, by focusing like a laser beam on the twelve strategies in this book, you will outsell, outmarket, and outmanage your competition at every turn. It is the same with any business. There are basics that you can do over and over again until every aspect runs like a machine. In the near future, you can have every person in every department know how to handle any circumstance that arises. Where other companies have one or two approaches for getting appointments with clients, your salespeople will have ten different approaches, and they will perform each one expertly. Your salespeople will have answers and perfect follow-up letters for every possible situation. Your customer service people will know how to respond to any complaint or special order or return situation that comes their way without having to consult their manager. Stress levels will be lower because every employee will have the information, training, and tools to do their jobs confidently and effectively. What will it take to get you there? One thing: pig-headed discipline and determination. Look at any area in your life where you have a great achievement. You know you worked at it. Perhaps you are a great golfer. Perhaps you're good at tennis. Perhaps you play piano. Any area of achievement in your life required you to stick with the basics until you became great, and yet so many businesses don't do that. Being great at sales, for example, requires you to be good at only seven things. Yet my sales audits of hundreds of companies reveal that few, if any, have outlined this process in the kind of detail that creates greatness. Is your company or department growing at the rate you desire? In almost every company that I've helped to grow, everyone is working very hard, from the CEO to the salespeople, right down the line. But if you don't have the tools necessary to master each area of the business, you are working harder, not smarter. This book offers the tools. Not only does it supply you with the pig-headed mindset, but it also provides you with complete how-to instructions to create the ultimate sales machine. Introduction. The owner of one of the largest carpet cleaning companies in the country, Rug Renovating, which covers the tri-state metro area of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, came to me for help. Here's a company with thirty thousand clients that was finding that efforts to get new clients were becoming less and less effective over the years. Any business owner reading this has probably noticed the same problem. Although he came to me looking to gain more clients, my first reaction was to find out whether he had maximized the clients he already had. I asked him how often his current clients buy. He answered, "They buy about once every three years. We send coupons and discounts frequently, but the numbers don't change." I asked, "How would you like it if we could get your clients buying twice a year instead of once every three years?" He was very excited at the idea, but no previous approach had worked. Like nearly every company in the world that sells carpet cleaning, this company was using product data in its sales process. Product data is straightforward and has very little strategic value. This is product data. We clean X square feet of carpeting for Y dollars. But adding market data can make the product data much more powerful. As you will learn in Chapter Six, every company can dramatically strengthen its sales and marketing materials by adding market data. Here's what we found for this carpet cleaning company. Fact: Your carpets act like a giant health filter, capturing dust, dirt, bacteria, pollen, dust mites, their waste, and the bacteria that feed on it. Government studies have shown that when you remove carpets from buildings, people get sick four times more often. 
But, like any filter, your carpets become saturated and ineffective over time, creating a need for professional, quality cleaning. And even vacuuming every day does not kill bacteria embedded in the carpet. The EPA found that professional carpet cleaning actually gets carpets 1,500% cleaner than even vacuuming every day. The steaming hot water used by professionals kills germs and bacteria that build up in your home. This is an example of how market data can motivate purchasing when people might not even feel they need the product. Product data like We Sell Carpet Cleaning only appeals to people who think they need their carpets cleaned right now. The goal of most people when they get their carpets cleaned is to get them to look better. Little do people realize that it makes their home healthier. This puts cleaning your carpets on the same level of importance as taking the kids for their yearly checkup. Here's a company that has actually gone beyond product data to study every aspect of carpet cleaning, right down to the government studies about the cleanliness of your air quality within the home. From the EPA's research, we created a concept called the Goal Service. The goal was to get customers on a schedule to have their carpets cleaned every six months. The company owner was very excited about this concept, so was I. We could both do the math and understand how much this would mean for him if it worked. Here I was hired to find a big breakthrough, and I felt I had delivered. Victory was mine. Using the market data, I created a script for their top producer to test for a week. The following week, I met with the entire staff over the telephone with the CEO listening. The dialogue went as follows. Chet, so, how did it go? Sales rep, it didn't work. Chet, it didn't work? Sales rep, no, it didn't work. Chet, well, how many people did you offer it to? Sales rep, I offered it to ten people. Chet, and nobody bought it? Sales rep, no, two people bought it. To the sales rep, the perception was that eight no's out of ten pitches made the concept a failure. But do the math. If you have 30,000 clients buying once every three years, that's about 10,000 sales per year. Now, imagine an extra 6,000 of them, a mere 20%, buying twice per year. What does that do for this business? It's an enormous increase in volume. But if it were up to that sales rep, the idea would have died right then and there. This is where pig-headed discipline and determination make the difference between mediocrity and greatness. In fact, it took six months of pig-headed discipline and determination to get every salesperson offering that service to every prospect every time. This is where most executives fail. Building a sales machine is not going to be about doing 4,000 things. It's going to be about doing 12 things 4,000 times each. Just one hour a week changed the CEO's life. He made a commitment to spend this hour every week improving and integrating the gold service concept. It wasn't easy. It took six disciplined months to integrate this into the fabric and fiber of the business. But remember, it was six months of only one hour per week. Every Monday night at five o'clock, without fail, the whole company would gather and talk about how this concept could be made more effective, how we could make it easier for the salespeople to use, what ideas the salespeople had to make this more effective, and so on. The whole focus of that hour was to integrate this one concept fully and completely into every aspect of the business. Not only did the implementation of the gold service improve sales, it also stabilized the business. Where the owner used to hope every month that customers would respond to his flyers, he now knows going into each month how many people are signed up for the gold service cleaning. It made the business more stable in every way, 
and it transformed sales performance. When I started working with the staff, the lowest sales rep was doing $13,000 a month, and the average sales rep was doing $35,000. When I finished working with them, the lowest sales rep was doing $49,000 a month, and the highest sales rep was doing $100,000 a month. Sales performance doubled. Initially, the sales staff fought me all the way, even though they were on commission. This company refined its sales process to near perfection within the mentioned six months. Everyone reading this will be able to do the same. But sales is just one piece of the pie. In order to be the ultimate sales machine, you actually have to be great at leading, managing, and marketing. This book lays it out in straightforward language with practical examples spelled out from every angle. And the best part is that you're not going to work harder. You're only going to work smarter. You can profoundly improve your company or department if you absolutely commit to one hour per week in which you do nothing else but work on making the business much more effective. In the course of this book, you will learn exactly how to spend that hour. It's not going to be hard to apply the strategies in this book or to transform your business into the ultimate sales machine. The key is learning and practicing the pig-headed discipline and determination you need to constantly address and readdress the 12 areas I'll outline. In order to make this process easy, I've broken this book down into 12 chapters, each focusing on one of the 12 strategies with examples and exercises that will make your business great and grow your sales and profits like mad. One of my clients is a great learner and is always buying the latest book or program. He heard my presentation at a seminar, liked what I had to say, and retained me to do an audit of his business. When I interviewed his employees, they were practically laughing at me. To them, I was just the latest flash in the pan. They told me that their boss had used 100 different training programs but never made any of them stick. The missing ingredient for this client, and nearly all of the 1,000-plus clients I have worked with directly to improve their businesses, is pig-headed discipline and determination. We all get good ideas at seminars and from books, radio talk shows, and business-building gurus. The problem is that most companies do not know how to identify and adapt the best ideas to their businesses. Implementation, not ideas, is the key to real success. This book is packed with excellent ideas developed on the front lines of capitalism. But more important, this book helps you learn the ways to see these ideas manifest throughout your organization, especially in your bottom line. Once you begin working on the strategies in each chapter, you will see that it's not just about implementing the ideas in this book. Your ability to implement any idea you learn anywhere will benefit dramatically from the learning curve presented here. For example, in Chapter 1, you'll learn how to maximize productivity through time management at every level of your organization. How well you manage your time and the level of productivity and performance you require from your staff are specific competencies that few businesses ever fully capitalize upon. Let's say you take a great time management course today. You go back to your office and apply the principles and see that they actually work. But when we check back with you three months later, we find you using very little, if any, of the information you learn from taking that one-time course. This is called event training. You go to an event, you get some training, you come back to your office, you may even try some of the concepts, you may even see them work, but you quickly abandon them because you are missing the pig-headed discipline and determination 
that make a truly great company or department. Working smarter, not harder. At seminars and lectures, I've asked my audience, how many people in this room would like to grow their company or department ten times larger than it is right now? Typically, 99% of the audience raises their hands. And then I say, leave your hands up if you can work ten times more hours or ten times harder than you're working now. All the hands go down. The point is that there are companies and departments that are ten times bigger than yours, and you know they aren't working ten times harder than you are. They're just working smarter. The ultimate sales machine is all about working smarter, not harder. Doesn't it seem smarter to take twelve proven strategies and perfect them than to scramble about using hundreds of different ideas without any real traction on any of them? This book is for executives, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and professionals, such as doctors, dentists, and lawyers. It's for middle managers, salespeople, and customer service representatives. In short, it's for everyone who plays a role in operating, marketing, selling, and running a company or department. It offers the kind of information and strategies that are essential for everyone in the trenches doing battle to grow and strengthen their business or department. Backed by countless success stories of companies just like the carpet cleaner, the ultimate sales machine mindset is the culmination of my experiences in the trenches. I've run magazines, newspapers, and trade shows for billionaire Charlie Munger and have owned 14 businesses. I've studied karate and owned a karate school on Times Square. I've also personally sold my services to more than 60 Fortune 500 companies and nearly 1,000 other clients. Finally, I've taught millions of business owners and employees through seminars, articles, and my 65 training products, which now sell in more than 20 countries. Important, I set up this book the way you should set up your business. I begin by discussing how to structure your company to maximize everyone's time. Then I move into training and its critical role in any organization, from one-person armies to the world's largest companies. As an author, I could have started with sexier and more potent material, but I believe that the right thing to do and the best way to serve you is to begin with the building blocks you must have if your company is going to be set up to succeed long term. Meetings, another building block. I had a client that had terrible meetings, so they stopped having them altogether. No meetings, ever. Wow. Talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Where do you learn how to hold a great meeting? Nowhere. So, here it is in this book. Meetings are great if you know how to have them, and in Chapter 3 I show you how to become a meeting master. I give details on how to run dazzling meetings that will have a profound impact on your company. After these three chapters, you've got your building blocks. Now you are ready to become a world-class strategist. Chapter 4 will change your life. I would love to start with this, as it's the single strongest lesson any business person can learn, but I set the book up as your business should be set up. Get your building blocks in place, and then erect your skyscraper. From there, the book takes off, teaching all the nuts and bolts of better selling, marketing, and hiring that you will find in 99.9% .9 of businesses. The strategies, tips, and insights that I've used to help turn mediocre or ailing companies into bulletproof success stories are right here in this book. Let this be your guide to transforming your business into the ultimate sales machine. One. 
Time Management Secrets of Billionaires. How to maximize your productivity and help your people do the same. I developed this time management system while I was running nine divisions for billionaire Charlie Munger. I always try to hire bright, aggressive, creative people, so naturally these people were constantly coming to me with new ideas, issues, and concerns. I later learned that no one should have more than six direct reports, but at the time I had something like twenty-two, so I was constantly reacting to my staff's need for attention. Basically, I was in a reactive mode all the time. I worked seven days a week, ten to twelve hours per day at the office, dealing with interruptions. And then I'd go home and do all the creative work to keep everything going. I realized that I had to learn how to effectively manage my time. So I took a time management course. In the first twenty minutes, the trainer handed out a worksheet instructing us to track our time over the next three months. At the end of the three months, we were supposed to identify where we were wasting our time. As a person running nine divisions, I rolled my eyes and thought to myself, "If I had the time to track my time for three months, I would not need a time management course." I got up and left the seminar. Over the years, I have broken time management down to six simple steps that take five minutes to complete. Why? Because good time management shouldn't take a lot of time. That's also why this is the shortest chapter in the book. This chapter will present six simple steps for time management. It will be very logical, and you will understand it completely. You will agree with all of the principles, and you will know that they will absolutely improve your productivity. But do you have the pig-headed discipline to spend the five minutes every day to take control of your time, and then the even more pig-headed discipline to stick with the plan throughout the day? If you have a staff, do you have the pig-headed discipline to police these six simple steps throughout your entire staff? If you do, the payoff will be huge. Let's get into it. Do you function mostly in a reactive or a proactive mode? In my experience, most business people don't take the time to plan and take action because all of their time is consumed by reacting to the business they've already built. To build your business into the ultimate sales machine, you need to be in a primarily proactive mode. Time management is crucial. Imagine what it would be like if you were suddenly thrust into managing or running a fifty billion dollar company. Do CEOs of giant corporations have more hours in the day than you do? Of course not. But they do need to be masters of this crucial competency: time management. They need to be absolute experts in managing their own time and have the systems in place to make sure that everyone in their organization is skilled in time management as well. Once you understand the time management secrets of running a multi-billion-dollar company, you'll have no trouble managing your sales activities if you're in sales, or getting your company or department to function at its maximum productivity. My time management epiphany. You've heard of the one-minute manager. Well, I was the got-a-minute manager. All day long, every day, various folks on my team would come to me and ask me if I had a minute to talk. And a got-a-minute meeting would break out right then and there. In fact, the entire company was run by got-a-minutes. Anyone could go to anyone else any time, and a got-a-minute meeting would break out. My employees were in a reactive mode all day long. Although I had successfully grown each of my divisions by at least one hundred percent within twelve to fifteen months of taking them over, I was out of control and reacting one hundred percent of the time. Even on vacation in Hawaii, I was receiving fifteen faxes per day. 
This was before email became the newest time-burner. In contrast, when I had a meeting with Charlie Munger, I had to call his secretary and make an appointment. I had to have a strict agenda. I had to be on time and organized. Every meeting was highly productive and to the point. Then suddenly it clicked that I needed to take control of my time and my staff. So, after a few years of working twelve-hour days every single day, including weekends, I realized that in order to more successfully run and manage the divisions under my control, I had to get more organized and less reactive. I put out a memo effectively ending my got-a-minute management style. Here's what it said. To staff from Chet, do not come to my door and ask if I have a minute. The answer will be no. Unless urgent, hold all thoughts, ideas, issues, or non-urgent concerns until the weekly division meeting. Below is a list of when these meetings will be held. Otherwise, I will post two times per day when I will take got-a-minute meetings. If your needs can't wait for the weekly meeting, write your name in the got-a-minute times allocated, and I will take quick ten-minute meetings. We broke the company down into nine impact areas and held weekly one-hour meetings in each area. An impact area is any part of your company that has a direct impact on the bottom line. Your impact areas may include sales, customer service, product development, and marketing, for example. In order to improve and perfect each of these areas, you need to give them a dedicated one hour per week when everyone involved can focus exclusively on improving that area. Once I established weekly impact area meetings, my team learned to hold their ideas until the appropriate meeting, instead of coming to my office to share their ideas as they got them. I even put out a pad that had the words, With Chet, on the top of the pad. My staff was then to write down on the pad the things they'd normally interrupt me with, and keep that pad in their desk drawer until the weekly meeting. The memo went out on Thursday, and I recall distinctly that on Friday, no one came to my door. It was the first time in years that that had happened, and I did not know what to do with all this uninterrupted time. I could actually concentrate at the office, and I didn't need to bring home the normal mounds of work to be done at nights and on weekends. I had a whole new learning curve headed my way. No one came to my door on Friday, but by Monday the madness started all over. I had to have the pig-headed determination and discipline to train my staff to follow these rules. When someone comes to your door with a got-a-minute meeting, you stop them cold and say, Is this something that can't wait until the weekly meeting? They will still try to get you to focus on it right then and there. And if you lack pig-headed discipline, you'll cave and jump right into it. So I had to discipline myself and the staff to hold almost everything until the weekly meetings. And the best part? I went from reacting to the business 70 to 80 hours per week to proactively running and more effectively managing and growing the business in only nine hours per week because I broke down my responsibilities into nine major impact areas. The meetings were way more productive than the got-a-minute meetings because these meetings were more formal, structured, and results-oriented. The key staff for each impact area attended their meeting together, so major progress could be made, and everyone was there who then needed to take the next step or learn our latest breakthrough. I kept nine pads, one for each impact area, and on each pad I would keep notes of what we had worked on and who had promised to do what before the next weekly meeting. Yes, 
To-dos, tasks, and deadlines must be assigned after every meeting. But the key is not to ask for too much to be completed. Make the gain small but constant. If you are having the meeting every week and you are making small incremental gains each and every week, think of the profound transformation you're going to have in 52 weeks. A year from now, your company, division, or department can be massively improved. More on this later. If you run a large company, you will have more impact areas. I helped one executive break down his company into the main impact areas and initiatives he was working on, and he ended up with 17, which means 17 one-hour meetings per week. That might sound crazy to a small company owner or executive, but it is the way to take your company to the next level if you've got a lot going on. This particular executive was working 70 hours per week and getting less done than when I made him break down the company into 17 hours of meetings. Each meeting moved each impact area forward. Decisions were made weekly. Everything of importance got addressed every week. Everyone was happier. The employees in each area felt more important. Prior to this program, some of them had to chase the boss for weeks to get questions answered or issues addressed. So, break it down. Exercise. Figure out what the impact areas are in your business. Typically, if you are running a department, your department is the impact area. But if you're a CEO or general manager of a medium or large company, you may have many impact areas. To make identifying them easier, here is a list of 15 impact areas from another CEO I worked with. 1. Outside sales. 2. Inside telemarketing team. 3. Marketing activities. 4. Customer service. 5. CRM, customer relationship management. 6. Purchasing and suppliers. 7. Shipping and receiving. 8. Inventory control. 9. Accounts receivable. 10. Personnel. 11. Technology. 12. Partner relations, vendors. 13. Partner relations, affiliates. 14. Export sales. 15. California initiative. This last initiative was to attack a new market. What initiatives do you or should you have? Now list your areas of impact. The Six Steps to Great Time Management there are six fundamental steps to great time management. Put these six steps into daily practice, and you won't believe how much you and your staff can accomplish in a regular workday. Step one, touch it once. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You come into your office, and there on your desk sit three folders and two letters that you must respond to. You look at the first letter and read a few sentences. Dealing with it is clearly going to take more time than you have right now. You put it aside. In one of your folders is another task. You handle that task, and your phone rings. You answer the phone and get pulled in a new direction for 10 to 15 minutes. Then you go back to the folder, but just as you do, an email comes in. You stop to read the email, which contains a task that must be dealt with, but requires more time than you have right now. If you spend just 15 minutes per day to revisit, readdress, or reread documents or emails, you will waste 97 hours per year where no action is taken. Many on your staff will waste an hour per day scattered throughout the day revisiting things on which no meaningful action is taken. That equates to six weeks of wasted time per year. 
Want to add six more weeks of productivity to every year? This simple touch-at-once rule and the infrastructure to support this rule within your company can dramatically enhance the productivity of every person working for you. If you touch it, take action. That's the first step to great time management. Don't open that email or letter until you're ready to deal with it. As you put this rule into practice, you will find that the more files you have for work in progress and the more organized you can be in that process, the more productive you will be. So, for example, suppose I open my email from my PR firm that requires me to approve a press release. I have a PR folder. On my to-do list, I write, Approve Press Release, see PR Folder. That's how organized you need to be today. The touch-it-once rule is crucial for managing email files. Email is a tremendous asset, but it can also kill your time management if you let it control you. The key to great email management is to institute a company policy that insists on very descriptive subject lines for all emails. Another rule I absolutely insist on at my company is that when the subject of the email changes, the subject line on the email also changes. This is critical. Say you send someone an email with the subject line Upcoming Chet Holmes Training Event, and she writes back something that looks like this. To Sherry from Marcia, subject Upcoming Chet Holmes Training Event. Yes, I'm going. I already reserved my spot. And by the way, did you talk to Dave about the budget item I mentioned to you? The email goes back and forth again about the problem with Dave, but it still has Upcoming Chet Holmes Training Event in the subject line. A week or two later, someone asks you, What happened with Dave? One of these seven emails covers that important issue, but you have to open all seven to find that data point. So change the subject line as you change the content of the email. Every client and employee of mine has to adhere to this rule in order to interact with me. This way, everyone in the company can glance at an incoming email and make the decision, can I deal with this now, if I open it now? If you do open something that can't be dealt with right then and there, you file it in an appropriate folder and move the task to your to-do list. More on to-do lists coming up next. This can't be overstated. Email can be the death of good time management. Companies that have new email alerts constantly sounding keep every person in a reactive mode all day long. If your computer signals when you have an email, do not go directly to read it and answer it at the moment it comes in. Email is there for your convenience. If it's not convenient, don't answer it. Concentration is like a muscle, and it strengthens as you concentrate more. If you stop concentrating every time an email comes in or the phone rings, you actually lessen your ability to concentrate, and you become less effective in any situation that requires concentration. Note, as you go through these six things, don't think about whether you've heard them before. Think about whether you're applying the discipline to implement them. Step two, make lists. Many people make lists as a way to keep organized. If you don't keep a list, you are most likely a very reactive person. Lists help you stay focused on high priorities and highly productive matters. Keeping a list will double your productivity right away. When I conduct a seminar on the topic, I go around the room and ask, how many people keep lists? Then I ask, how many items do you usually keep on your list? There are always a few people in the room who have to-do lists of 25 items or more. The key to being productive is to stick to the six most important things you need to get done that day.
You'll find that when you have a long list, it becomes the management tool for your time. When you want to feel productive, you go to your list and just pick something and do it. It feels good. When you have a long list, you generally do the easier, less productive tasks, just to trim down the list. At the end of the day, you find that the most important things on the list didn't get completed because they are either the hardest, the most time-consuming, or both. Long lists also mean that you will never finish your list. There is a negative psychological impact to not finishing your list, but there is an enormous psychological boost to crossing off that sixth item on your list, especially when all six of them were the most important things you needed to do that day. So, here's the rule: list the six most important things you need to do, and by hook or by crook, get those six things completed each day. That doesn't mean you don't keep a side list of running items that need to be done. When you plan each day, coming up in a moment, you can go to your long list and use that as a menu of items from which to build your list of the six most important things for that day. Exercise. Do this exercise now, and we'll build on it as you read the rest of this chapter. Take a clean sheet of paper and write down the six most important things you need to get done tomorrow. Your list might look something like mine: one, work on client proposal; two, fax contract; three, schedule meetings; four, conference call with Heidi; five, review this month's marketing plan; six, work on direct mail letter. Step three: plan how much time you will allocate to each task. Do not think about when you will do each task yet. Just determine the amount of time you will realistically dedicate to each task. This is an important step to make sure that the six items on your list can actually be accomplished in a day. If one or more of the items on your list is too big to accomplish in one day, then write down how much time during that day you will dedicate to it. You will take care of bigger projects in manageable chunks of time. This book is a great example. I've been getting book offers for more than ten years, but I looked at the book as a huge undertaking. Once I made the commitment, I put an hour a week on my calendar to address the book. Within three months, I had a solid book proposal that got me this book deal. What have you been putting off for years, or what important initiatives are you just not getting to because they take too much time? Do them in small chunks of time. Exercise. Next to each item on your list, write how much time you will realistically spend on it tomorrow. Now your list might look like this: one, work on client proposal, point five hours; two, revise and fax contract, one point five hours; three, schedule meetings, point five hours; four, conference call, one hour; five, work on marketing plan, one hour; six, work on direct mail letter, two hours. Add up the total amount of hours for your productive tasks. Here it comes to 6.5 hours. I've done this exercise in many seminars, and there are always a few people who add up their hours and get 11 hours worth of stuff. Not realistic at all. When you now must work these six things into the rest of your day, a good guide to go by is that your six most important things should take about six hours. I'll explain why later. Step four: Plan the day. Now that you have allocated amounts of time for each task, you need to plan your day. This is not a general guide to how your day might unfold. It must be specific and have a time slot for absolutely everything. This includes each of the six items on your list, as well as time to check email and open mail. 
Remember, if you are following the first rule and only touching these items once, then you need to have a dedicated period of time each day when you can deal with them. Note in this fully planned day below that there are two periods of time for miscellaneous and got-a-minute meetings. These miscellaneous periods are absolutely essential, because we all know that your day might be interrupted. There are some things you will have to react to that will throw you off your schedule. If you have planned at least two half-hour slots of reactive time, then when you get off track, you've actually built in buffers so that you can get back to your schedule. But most important, stick to that schedule no matter what. Note in the plan below that this is actually a ten-hour day, but only 6.5 of the hours are for your six most important things. 8 to 8.30, send client proposal and check email. 8.30 to 9, review employees' time management lists. 9 to 10.30, review, revise, and fax contract. 10.30 to 11, miscellaneous meetings, scheduled got-a-minutes, check email. 11 to 12, review marketing plan. 12 to 1, lunch with client. 1.30 to 2, conference call. 2 to 3, got-a-minutes, miscellaneous, check email. 3 to 5, direct mail letter. 5 to 6, check and respond to email. Exercise. Write a plan for your day tomorrow that will give you enough time to cross off all six items on your to-do list and stay on top of your email and other tasks. Step 5. Prioritize. Now that you've done this exercise, look at your day tomorrow and see where you put the most difficult tasks. In seminars, I often see people put the most important task last because it typically takes the most concentration or is the most difficult. But by the end of the day, there is rarely time or energy to take on this chore. Put the most important task first. This simple step will give you a tremendous sense of control and accomplishment. We've heard it again and again. Only 20% of your effort brings 80% of your results. Many people drown in busy work that produces few results. They're so busy that they've lost their ability to prioritize and concentrate. I call them busy people. I've had a lot of them working for me over the years, dedicated, devoted, even appearing like they are really busy. But when you look at their actual productivity, it's very low. For these people, the whole technique becomes critical. And you have to police it like a ninja master to get them to stop all the busy work and focus on productivity. What would happen if 80% of your effort was focused on high results producing activities? If you started spending 80% of your time on results-oriented work and only 20% on everything else, you could conceivably get a fourfold increase in productivity. All it takes is pig-headed discipline and determination. Tips for Salespeople and One-Person Armies Every salesperson should have at least two and a half hours a day of brand new prospecting, and that's for salespeople who have a full load of current clients. Salespeople who are not managing a large list of current clients need to do at least four hours per day of pure cold calling. I have a client who has software that tracks sales activity, but he never used the software. To our shock, when we actually used the software, we found that not one person on the staff was doing more than an hour's worth of cold calling in a single day. When surveyed, the reps thought they were making 40 to 60 cold calls per day. The reality? About 11 to 28 cold calls per day. For new salespeople, their entire day should be spent prospecting. 
If you are a one-person army or a very small company, and you as the entrepreneur are the main person responsible for growing the company, then you personally must spend at least two and a half hours per day growing your company. What to do if your job is designed to be reactive? Say you are a salesperson who has to take inbound calls from clients on a regular basis. Say you are a customer service representative whose entire job is to react to customer service calls. What if you're a receptionist who answers phones, or an assistant who has to react to your boss's needs all day? Even people in reactive positions should still plan realistically for some proactive tasks that can get done each day. You should have some proactive tasks that you do each day that move things forward or improve the company or your job. Plan time to improve skills, performance, workflow, and organization for you and your department or company. People in more reactive positions will simply have far less time dedicated to proactive tasks, but still have some proactive tasks in every day. If you are a receptionist and your main job is to answer phones, can you also be productive making lists of prospects for the sales team? It makes me crazy when I go into a company and the receptionist is reading a book because the calls are slow. Can this person be doing some research on the internet about your industry, or doing mailings? These questions also apply if you're in customer service. In your weekly meetings, full design in Chapter Three, make it a point to address this issue. And put reactive people to work in their downtime or slow time. People respect what you inspect. If you want to get your people productive, you should examine how they're prioritizing and planning their day every day. Before the advent of the internet, I would go around the office and check how people were planning their day. I did that for months until every person in the company was doing their plan every day. It took me six months of pig-headed discipline and determination and constant inspection before my employees followed the six steps religiously. I am so intent on having great time management among my key executives and they from their staff that I even built an internet program where employees log in and plan their day. The boss gets an automatic email alert each time an employee completes his or her day's plan. See the ultimate time management tool on www.chettime.com. With or without a program like this, instituting this kind of inspection on how employees are planning and prioritizing will increase their respect for time management and dramatically increase their productivity. Exercise: Look at your plan. How much of your day is proactive and how much is reactive? Where did you put the most important task for the day? At the beginning, in the middle, at the end? Rewrite your plan so that you complete the most important task on your list first thing in the morning. Group together all of your reactive work, including answering emails and returning phone calls. Make sure most of your day is focused on proactive work, such as prospecting or closing deals. Step six: Ask yourself, will it hurt me to throw this away? Studies show that 80% of all filed or stored information is never referred to again. So why hold on to it? To determine whether or not to keep something, ask yourself: Will it hurt me to throw this away? Could you get it again if you needed it? If you're a boss, the answer is usually yes. Throw it away. If I don't specifically keep an email, it's automatically thrown away by my system after 45 days. 
Maybe twice per year there's one that I wish I could get again, and I usually can. One of my staff recently had trouble in that her email was working slowly. The technician looked at her email account and discovered that it had stored some ridiculous amount of old data because she kept every single email. After the technician had her clean out all the files she didn't think she would ever need again, her stored email went from 2.7 gigabytes to 0.5 gigabytes. Conclusion. As you can see, there are not 4,000 steps to time management, and there is no need to track your time for three months before introducing time management into your life and your business. There are six simple steps. Touch it once. Make daily lists of the six most important tasks to accomplish. Plan how long each task will take. Assign time slots for accomplishing each task. Focus on the difficult projects first. Ask yourself, will it hurt me to throw this away? Master these six steps and you won't believe the difference. Implement them company-wide and you will be operating at maximum productivity before you know it. Of course, even if you stick to these six steps, events and people will interfere and your schedule will be disrupted. Emergencies will come up that will take an hour or even two hours out of your day. As long as you've scheduled some flexible time into your day, some blank spaces in your schedule, you can accommodate those detours. The key is that when something interferes with your schedule, deal with it and then go back to your schedule. 2. Instituting Higher Standards and Regular Training Pre-program your organization to run like a finely tuned machine. According to an article in Harvard Business Review, only 10% of the population has what's called the learning mindset. These are people who seek out and enjoy learning. The other 90% of the population will not look to improve their skills unless they have to as part of their job requirement. Today, most professions, real estate brokers, accountants, financial planners, Stockbrokers, lawyers, health care professionals, masseuses, and so on, have mandatory continuing education because they found that without it, people wouldn't keep current with the information necessary to be accepted as a professional in their field. What if your doctor wasn't required to keep up to date with medical advances and hadn't looked at a medical text in 20 years? He or she might be prescribing medicine that is now known to be harmful or doing procedures that we've proven ineffective. Yet in most companies, there's little or no training, and there's rarely mandatory training. Some managers view training as an interference with work to be done. But think of the tale of the woodcutters. Woodcutter A cuts wood all day. Woodcutter B keeps stopping and sitting down. At the end of the day, woodcutter B has three times more wood than woodcutter A. Woodcutter A asks, how could this happen? You were resting all day. Woodcutter B says, I wasn't resting, I was sharpening my saw. Take time to sharpen your skills, your tools, and your resources, and you will be more productive. The Tribal Method of Training Joe's bank just hired Sam, and he's about to go through his new hire training. At Joe's Bank, they use what I call the Tribal Method of Training, where information is passed from person to person by word of mouth like cavemen might have done. Sam is told to watch Betty for two days, and then he will be ready to do things himself. 
There is no formal methodology, no classroom-style training, no training manuals, no role-playing. It's all just one person sitting with another person and watching what that person does. Just watch and learn. If Betty has a bad day, a bad attitude, or bad habits, Sam might think these are acceptable as well. This is the worst kind of training you could possibly have. On the other hand, banks like Wells Fargo, Bankers Trust, and Citibank, all former clients of mine, have classroom-style training programs with policies and procedures for everything. At one of these companies, Sam goes through extensive classroom training before he ever sits to observe another teller. When he finally sits down to do so, he can actually spot when she's doing something wrong. Sam has learned his job, but the training shouldn't stop there. Improving and advancing the skills and professionalism of every person in your company is an ongoing process, and formal training sessions should be regular and non-negotiable. Your industry and competitors might be advancing, but without mandatory continuing education, your team isn't. In this chapter, you'll learn how to set the standards of achievement in your company or department. You'll learn how to implement mandatory training programs and how to make them fun, interesting, and stimulating so your staff loves them. It doesn't matter if you're a one-person army or a Fortune 500 firm. You need to be working on your skills. I had an original equipment manufacturer, OEM client, who was trying to penetrate the 100 biggest manufacturers in her market using a method you will learn in Chapter 6. A key element to this process was that her sales staff had to toughen up. The grim reality is that without great training, the majority of salespeople will never call a prospect back who rejects them even once. Few salespeople will call back even twice after a prospect has said no. This was definitely the case with this OEM company. Its salespeople would have given up after the first rejection from those manufacturers. But we were implementing a corporate initiative, and it was absolutely mandatory that they learn how to persevere. We knew that it would take a coordinated and highly monitored effort to solve this problem. We had call reports that the salespeople were required to fill out that showed what their activity was, and then every week I personally selected salespeople for what I call the hot seat. I drilled them with specific questions about the prospects they had contacted, what their efforts were, what they said, and what the prospect said. Because they knew we were going to be doing this every week, it slowly raised the bar of performance in the whole company. This was not easy or immediate. Every salesperson started off not really doing the required activities, but when they were put on the hot seat by me, with all 50 of the other salespeople, as well as the president of the company, the vice president of sales, and their sales manager, all listening, they quickly realized they had better respect what we were going to inspect. For the first three months, there was barely any progress, and on their own, this company and its sales team probably would have given up. But after three months of steady marketing to the executives at these manufacturers and more or less forcing the sales staff to keep calling the same prospects who kept saying no, we started to make nice progress. Every week we would go over what the salespeople were saying and what the prospects were saying. In each case, I'd tune up their skills. Within six months, the sales crew had gotten in to see 54% of those they targeted. With consistent, relentless, and organized training on just this specific concept, we raised the standard dramatically and then policed it throughout the organization. 
These salespeople learned that consistency in their approach, no matter how many times they were rejected, results in a tremendous conversion rate of prospects to buying clients. They are now the masters of selling in their industry.